A March 2023 Barna study found that 52% of adults and teens have experienced religious doubt in the past few years. If you are in that 52%, it may be comforting to know that you aren't alone. If that number is shocking to you, you likely know a doubter and you aren't aware. In our last episode, we heard the despair in the words of a teenager named Jane Doe. She sent an email to Bobby recounting her struggles. We will start with hearing her words again before we get to four more ways that we can help those who are doubting. Hello, Bobby. My name is Jane Doe. I'm a 17-year-old Christian, and I've been a Christian for many years. I've always had God inside of me keeping me comforted. There's always been that comfort inside of me. But lately, I've been in what I would call a crisis of belief. Lately, I've been having doubts in my head about the Bible and what it says. For example, how is it physically possible for one to rise from the dead? Is it really God or is it all in my head? Why isn't God there to help me when I really need him? Doesn't the Bible have scripture saying that he will help? Sometimes the doubts are statements that electrocute my mind and belief, such as you're wasting your time or you're believing a fantasy and it's only part of your brain that makes you believe. But it's not like I want to believe these doubts because when I think of them, something burns in my heart and my mind. My depression begins to act up badly. Lately, I've had anxiety attacks about it with a stress. It's not helpful when atheists surround me in school too. There really aren't many people that I can ask for help. So I'm asking you, what do I do? Because I'm scared to say I'm lost. Jane. Welcome to Christianity Still Makes Sense, the show that loves doubters. We worked through the first four ways to help doubters in episode 39. If you didn't hear those, it might be helpful to check out that episode as well. And you can find the link to that in the show notes and check it out. Bobby and I have both had our bouts with doubt, so this comes from the heart and is aimed at helping you find hope in the midst of doubt. As I had mentioned, we addressed the first four last week. This week, we'll kick off with the fifth one. Fifth, discern the difference between authentic doubt and antagonistic doubt. Bobby? Yeah, Tim. This is important for us when we're working with a doubter to get a sense of his or her spirit or approach or even just the attitude toward doubt. So some people, uh, they doubt the doubt. Perhaps it gives them a, a superiority complex to sit in intellectual judgment over scripture. Others hate their doubts. They aren't looking for doubts, but rather doubts find them. I guess somewhere along the line or along the way, uh, they find themselves bumping in the questions that they struggle to reconcile, Tim, which then in turn uh, becomes doubts uh, for them. So the questions can turn to doubts when you feel like you can't discover the answer to the questions you're looking for. And so antagonistic doubters uh, versus authentic doubters, the antagonistic doubter, uh, they celebrate their doubts to move beyond their faith. Whereas the authentic doubters, they confront their doubts to resolve them. And so when we look at Jane and we see how her attitude was when she wrote to me, it's obvious she wasn't antagonistic. She rather desired to authentically resolve her doubts. But the problem is, is her doubts were metastatizing and they were overwhelming her to the point of despair. You could sense that in her email, just vexing her uh, beyond 
uh, just uh, the any type of um, formal recognition to what her faith once looked like to her. So what she needed was some solid answers to assuage her doubts. And fortunately, the questions that she had aren't that difficult to answer. But unfortunately, she didn't know where to turn for answers, Tim. And I really got that same sense reading her words that she had that authentic doubt. And, and I would say, you know, maybe one way to, to check which doubt, you know, you, you hold is to be honest with yourself when you're answering the question, do you want this to be true? And you, you kind of mentioned that. And so I really appreciated that. Uh, you know, maybe do, do people, do I find joy in the Christian worldview and walking with Jesus? Maybe another question that they could ask, you know, you and I, Bobby, we both know somebody <laughs> that is very antagonistic uh, when it comes to their doubts. And this person just never seems satisfied with answers. Answers, and it seems they're always looking under a rock to find another gotcha That's question. Right. And boy, that can just be really exhausting. It, 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 mm. You know, feed back to me a little bit on, on that, that, yeah. that antagonistic doubter person. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I really think there can become a sense of pride uh, mm. in a person's heart, like, you know, sitting in the seat of just skepticism, uh, you know, but, th- but the fact is, is, when we're always skeptical of everything, sometimes people need to ask themselves, do I just like playing devil's advocate a little bit too much? Right. Um, and maybe am I tearing down the very resources that are meant to build me up in the name of just acting smarter than the very, you know, God who offers to forgive me. I, I think for some people, there's just a lot of pride in mm. uh, wanting to admit that, you know, they, they don't know everything, but they don't have to know everything perfectly and that they're okay with some mystery. Uh, and I think that this is part of the problem with progressive Christianity. You get people, uh, they've doubted so much of what the Bible has to say, and they want to hang on to Jesus. But even the Jesus that they're trying to hold on to is a caricature of the biblical Jesus, who is, yes, loving, but he's also very just. Uh, yes, he cast a vision for heaven, but he talked about hell more than heaven. And mm. so, uh, you know, I feel like that particular movement could have been, you know, devastated by a brand of legalism, and I'm sympathetic to that. And I, yeah. But I think at some point when we start loving our doubts instead of loathing them, uh, and when our doubts are antagonistic versus authentic, um, you know, seeking an answer, uh, then we've got a couple problems. We've got a doubt problem, but we also got a spirit problem. We have a bad spirit. And so the kind of person I think that can be helped through doubts, Tim, then is somebody who tries to remain authentic and open. And they're not just trying to be prideful and sit in skeptics corner and play devil's advocate all the time, but they're genuinely willing to humble themselves before the truth. This next one is uh, comes from a place of passion for for both of us, and and, and it is this mm. understanding that the toll doubt can take on one's mental health. Talk to us a little bit about this. Oh, this is so true. And as Jane Apley put it, she said, you know, it's not like I want to believe these doubts. See, she wasn't celebrating her doubts; she hated her doubts. She says because when I think of them, something burns inside my heart and mind, and my depression begins to act up badly. She says, lately, I've had many anxiety attacks about it, along with other stress. So you can sense the toll doubts were taking on her. And it's obvious she doesn't love her doubts. She loathes them. And these doubts have hijacked her peace. As she even said, that her heart and her mind burns torturously when she thinks of them. And the catastrophic result of this is that her unaddressed doubts 
were causing her to sink into depression, anxiety attacks, and all sorts of stress that was coming to her life. There's no other way to put it. This young lady was tormented. And when it comes to doubt, I've often said, and I write about this in my book, Doubting Toward Faith, there is a certain personality type that can receive an extra barrage of jabs in the doubt ring. I'm referring to the obsessive analyzer. Typically, this person has OCD tendencies that attach to the doubter, which becomes brutal to ward off. While some people, Tim, are analytical, they can unlock from their doubts and from their thoughts, but they might not, you know, uh, be somebody, you know, as it relates to being totally obsessive, right? They're able to, uh, you know, unlock from their doubts. Yeah. But this doesn't necessarily show up in the form of existential doubts for the person who is obsessive and not analytical. So you got two types, right? You got the person who's analytical, but they can unlock from their thoughts and doubts. You got the person who's obsessive, but they might not be obsessing on existential matters. So the doubter with this personality makeup um, needs to seek out therapy to treat the underlying issue of OCD contributing Mm -hmm. to his doubt. So here's the issue. Often the obsessive analyzer demands certainty but demanding certainty is a fool's errand. Why demand something we could never obtain? If there's one thing we can all be certain of, it's that no one can be certain about all the details of anything. Hmm. For example, if you're not driving in your car right now, (laughs) grab the nearest cup to you. uh, And I'll show you what I mean. Um, Are you ready for it? I mean, think about it. How many total ounces have been drunk from this cup in its lifetime? How many people have drunk from it? Uh, What was the cup before it was a cup? How many different types of fluids have been poured into it? How many dust particles are on it at this moment? How many dust particles are on it, uh, have been on it throughout its history? Uh, Okay, you know, we're starting to see the point here, right? Like we can't even get to the bottom of this cup. Uh, We can't even understand all the ins and outs of a single cup. So what makes us think that we can demand certainty of an omnipotent, eternal, everlasting God if we can't even be certain about all the things of the cup in front of us that we're now holding in our hand. So I believe what we're really after is not demanding certainty, but reasonable evidence. Hmm. And Christianity certainly provides that, pun intended. And confidence, not certainty, is what we're looking for. And confidence is strengthened strengthened by considering the evidence on offer. I am just imagine so many of our audience shaking their head yes as you're going through those examples, just about the questions that come up from the cup and 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 how important that they might think that those answers are and how it relates to certainty. And I can also imagine somebody else, uh, you know, maybe feeling the mental health toll when they've approached people in their Christian community with these types of questions and maybe have been given, you know, pat answers and, oh, just just read more of the Bible and whatnot, and, and how damaging that can be. And so when we do that, it can contribute to the doubters kind of negative mental health and we should walk with them through their doubts. We should read stuff with them. We should go on that journey with them. We should share videos and resources with them and use it as a chance, I think, to kind of grow the relationship, just like you suggest in our next point, our seventh point, be ready to point doubters to a solid Christian community. Talk to us a little bit about the solid Christian community. Yeah, exactly. And the kind of community, um, you know, what I could see some people hearing what you said, oh, you know, People just saying, you read the Bible more. Like, what's wrong with that? 
And uh, we, of course, we want people to be able to read the Bible more. Uh, but in a Christian community, mm-hmm. um, what can happen is, is sometimes it's not because people aren't reading the Bible. Uh, there's something deep going on. Um, like for me, there was a stage, Tim, in my own life where I was struggling uh, reading the Bible because I would go to the Bible for my devotion and I would only go and collect a, you know, a larger batch of doubts. Right. And so my quiet times were overwhelming me um, because I kept finding things that were that were hard for me to reconcile. My brain was producing questions faster than I could chase the answers down. And so uh, for somebody to say, oh, just read your Bible more. Uh, well, typically, yeah, that's a great thing. But when you're in a relationship with doubt that's got such a hold of you that you just collect more doubts, let's deal with some of the core issues that are going on so you know how to have a better approach to the Bible. And so that's kind of where um, I was in that stage. And fortunately, I was able to do that. And we need the right kind of community that can point us uh, to dealing with this in a proper way. And as we saw above, Jane was surrounded um, by atheists, which she uh, mentioned, right? Uh, She said she was hanging out at school and all these atheists were basically wearing on her. She admitted it's not helpful when atheists surround me. It's not that Christians are supposed to live quarantined from the world, Tim. I would never advocate that, but they should have a solid group of believers to bounce their doubts off when others challenge their faith. And yet, sadly, this is hard to find in many churches. Uh, And bouncing one's doubts off the wrong person may turn out to be a demoralizing experience, especially if the person ridicules or shames the believer for having the doubts to begin with. So a posture is uh, empathetic listening while seeking to validate uh, the pain the doubter is experiencing, uh, recognizing how difficult it must be. And if you don't know what to say, no problem. Just be a friend who walks alongside the doubter. But make no mistake, some doubt is so severe that it's going to require professional qualified experts to walk with the doubter through the complexities of their doubt. And that's why pastors must figure out a process to help doubters while also having some solid key leaders who are apologetically equipped with the savvy and relational tact to be able to help doubters navigate their way out of the labyrinth of doubt that they find themselves stuck in. Excellent points, Bobby. And and let's kind of, we're going to give some helpful hints of kind of what to do. But before we do that, let's hit number eight to help the doubter refuse to throw in the towel. What does this look like? Yeah. I mean, the last part of Jane's email was jarring where she wrote, you know, I'm scared to say I'm lost. I mean, you could just feel the the fear and trepidation uh, that she was going through in her agony. And perhaps the reason I was so touched by her email is because I could relate to her infliction all too well. I can attest to him that my doubts brought me to the breaking point, landed me a seat in counseling, along with a prescription in hand for antidepressants. Suicidal ideation was no stranger, uh, but in the end, neither was God. Fortunately, he would see me through, but when I reflect on that season all these years later, I stand amazed at God's faithfulness to guide me home again. And today I can honestly say that I'm no longer inflicted by doubts, nor do I panic when doubt comes my way. Even more, I can now see the value that these doubts produced in my life by giving me greater empathy for doubters, while also allowing me to write two books birthed out of my despair, Doubting Toward Faith, which came out in 2015, and Does Christianity Still Make Sense? 
uh, coming out in 2024 in April. So while I couldn't give Jane a hard deadline for her doubts, I could assure her that if she persevered by refusing to throw in the towel, that God would eventually bring her out the other side stronger. I can only hope that she did, but this side of heaven, I might never know. Well, to our audience, man, there are so many resources. If you are nodding your head saying, yes, I'm feeling like that. I'm having those questions. We would invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Christianity Still Makes Sense. There are over 1,500 videos uh, on the channel that can help you answer some of those questions. Bobby, in just a second, is going to wrap up with some concluding thoughts, things that we need to remember as we're going through this, as we're interacting with people that have doubts. But I want you to know that each one of these things that he's going to go through has a longer form, more in-depth uh, version of it on our YouTube channel. So we're just going to hit them pretty quick. But I want you to know that check out the resources. Uh, you can find it at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. You can also check out YouTube.com slash ChristianityStillMakesSense. So Bobby, give us these concluding thoughts. And again, we'll, we'll try to expand on them as much as we can as we have time for. But uh, let's give it the condensed version here as, as we go into some of these. Sure. I'd say first off, Embrace a big box Christianity. Hmm. Some people want to be as conservative as they can be about their conservatism. But I want to be as liberal as I can be about my conservatism without slipping in the heresy. Yeah. When we are as conservative as we can be about our conservatism, we inevitably alienate true believers. But when we are as liberal as we can be about our conservatism, we include those who truly believe. So embracing a big box Christianity means welcoming people to the table of fellowship who hold alternative perspectives that aren't deal breakers to mere Christianity. Yeah. Excellent point. Uh, and again, I, I would completely agree with you. And I find a lot of people that are in the deconstructing movement uh, come out of, come in that movement because people have been too narrow with some of their views. And so I really appreciate that. Uh, what about number two here? Yeah, number two, I would say don't commit to theological positions too quickly. Hmm. Uh, committing to theological positions prematurely uh, can set us up for a future crisis of faith the moment we encounter counter positions that challenge positions we previously embraced. So instead, we want to take time to understand the alternative viewpoints before committing. That way, we'll have a greater confidence about the theological commitments that we make, and this takes time. And so we want people to enjoy learning instead of trying to conquer it. And I want people to remember that theological development is a journey, not a checklist. And so yeah. I've often said, you know, it's strange. You can go to church on one weekend, place your faith in Christ, go to membership class the next weekend, and you're given you know, depending upon the denomination, a long or, you know, maybe a shorter list of doctrines. And really, you're just exposed to these doctrines in the form of, you know, maybe a summary statement of each doctrinal position that has a bunch of verses that you can go look up, but then you're expected to sign on the dotted line that, that you buy off on all this stuff. And I'm thinking, how are you going to sign off on who the Godhead is, or on inerrancy, or whatever view of the, you know, tribulation that you hold to, how are you going to sign off on that and buy into that because you read a sentence? And so I think in some ways we need to give people the opportunity uh, to have space and some time to be able to think. 
And I think it might give pastors the security of feeling good about the fact that they've ran people through a process, but running people through a process, getting them to sign on the dotted line doesn't mean they've been discipled. Being discipled means that they can articulate why they believe one belief in light of other beliefs. That's part of the process and part of the journey. And that's part of the problem with so much apostasy today is people weren't discipled. They went to a membership class and they believed that they were mature than they really were. Right. And sometimes what happens is they have to spend time learning a methodology first. You know, you have to learn that hermeneutics right. of understanding scripture and, and you know, the, the, the context that it was written in and what the words mean. And so th- that can be a long process, too, because when you just get like, OK, I found the answer that I was looking for. But but how did you get there? What was the process I needed to go on so that I can do that next time? Oh. And, and that can be a long process, too. And the more that we're doing that, the more that we're understanding, we, you know, you and I, like I said, we did a show, uh, a series of shows. Actually, it was three, where we talked about, you know, that, that process, the observation process, the application process. What does that look like? How, how can we do that in our own lives so that we're, we're, we're able to handle the text with care? Uh, the next one, right. that we want people to keep their eye on the big picture. Talk to us a little bit about what the big picture is and how we do that. Yeah, so we're trying to offer just some practical advice that, that I believe can help protect people uh, from, you know, colliding into a crisis of faith. Hmm. Uh, and so embrace a big box Christianity. And I would even say to churches and pastors out there, don't strangle the life. Um, the, the, don't, don't strangle the thoughts and the ability to think out of people in the congregation because you've got a list of 50 things people have to sign off on. Right. Uh, and don't you know hide people that are in your congregation from alternative viewpoints that are out there. Uh, if the view is true, then it can stand up against the other viewpoints. So sometimes I think we don't expose people to other viewpoints because we're not so confident about our own viewpoint. So we just stay stuck in our own silos. And I mean, confident Christianity is willing to look at different viewpoints. So we're saying embrace a big box Christianity. Uh, That's not to say we don't need a box. We do. Without a box, we're going to have heresy. And so I'm not advocating for that. But what I'm saying is, is the box is often bigger than we think it is. And I fear that sometimes uh, we're strangling um, our congregants' uh, ability to think. I'd all say, you know, don't commit to theological positions too quickly, as I said. Take mm-hmm. your time. Why? We've got 2,000 years of church history behind us. It takes time to learn and think. I'm still trying to figure stuff out 30 years after being a Christian. And so that's why we got to enjoy learning, not try to conquer it. And then, yeah, keep it your eye on the big picture. As you journey through various theological landscapes, just keep your eye on the big picture as you're formulating your different views. The, the big picture is this. We're to love God, love people, and celebrate the gospel. In other words, that's the great commandment, love God, love people, right? And the great commission, celebrating the gospel. Hmm. During a season of doubt, we often complicate the simple gospel, and it's freeing to remember the early church was busting out the seams, and they were doing so without the New Testament, Sure, they had apostolic oversight, but they weren't bogged down with 2,000 years of church history to wade through. It's a lot. So take a deep breath, embrace a little mystery, remember the special moments of past God encounters you've had, keep your eye on the big picture, my friend, because he's got you. That's, That's what I would say, Tim, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be trying to figure out the New Testament and that we don't believe uh, in the trustworthiness and the authority of the New Testament. Not at all. It's just to say... In our churches, uh, we can get so lost in the details 
that we lose sight of the big picture. And that's mm -hmm. the great commandment and the great commission. And if we can focus on that, that'll make a big difference. Bobby, excellent advice as always. Thank you so much for your insight here. And to our audience, as we mentioned, this is kind of the second part of a two-part series. And so you definitely want to check out episode 39 and kind of get the other ones if you haven't listened to that already. If you've learned something or you've had fun kind of just hanging out with us, thank you so much for doing that. We would love for you to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like this video, share it with your network, and we will see you next time on Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.